We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be going to have a sermon where we see courage, we have it today in the life of Elijah. I'm entitling this, If God is God, Then Serve Him. If you have a Bible, you can find it in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. But the Bible says that the people of God had a foot in both worlds. They were trying to serve God, but they were serving idols and other gods as well. And Elijah is about to call them back to... um, Reality and truth in God. I read somewhere the other day where a guy said, indecision may or may not be my problem. <laughs> well, it was certainly the problem of this people that were uh, being spoken to about the truth of God. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear your truth too. Ours is a generation that is moving away from your truth. Our country, Lord, is becoming Europeanized. And Christians are being diminished, and the impact is being diminished more and more as we go along. But that's not the way it has to be. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us grace and truth and love and courage that the people of God in this country, in this nation, would rise up to speak truth and love. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's some things we see, and they're not things that are necessarily popular in America today. One of them is this, the truth confronts the enemy's lies. We're not into confronting too much in the church these days. We're a little bit afraid. But let's see how Elijah handled it when the people of God and a nation were going astray. 1 Kings 18, 17. And remember, let me set set the scene for you. Elijah had prophesied that it wouldn't rain for uh, three years to the king, the wicked king. And then he disappeared. He was at the brook Cherith for a year being fed by the ravens. And, um, and, and they brought him his food, and then he went to Zarephath with the widow for another two years. Remember the cruise of oil and the miracle of healing her son? And after three years in those two settings, God says, now I want you to go to Ahab, okay? It's been the three years of prophecy. It hasn't rained like he prophesied. The prophet of God was, you know, that's how you tell if it's real and true is if it happens, what they say. And it happened, no rain for three years. God tells him to go talk to Ahab on the way. He meets Obadiah. That was the last sermon we did. Obadiah uh, uh, takes care of the king's, the wicked king's uh, assets and, and all his properties. And, and Elijah says, go tell him to come here and meet me. And Obadiah says, look, if you're not here when, you get, when, I, when, I, when he comes, um, then he'll kill me. And Elijah said, I will be there, don't worry. So Obadiah does his thing, and now we come to this setting right here where Ahab, the wicked king, who's really ticked off at Elijah and has been searching to kill him, comes out and finds him in this location. Verse 17, when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Now here's a guy who could be killed uh, at any moment, and he says, I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and worship the images of Baal instead. Do you know it's trouble 
for every leader, whether family, nation, uh, kingdom, whatever it is, when they refuse to obey the commands of the Lord. If a mom or a dad refuses, people around them will pay. And that nation has certainly paid. Verse 19, now he says, this is Elijah, summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So these are gods with the little g. There's only one true God. He's the God with the big G. All the rest are the little g's because they're not real. And um, he's about to confront the lies and the, the enemies of, of, of uh, the kingdom of God. The question for us today as we look at this is, do we follow man's God or man, man's ways or God's ways? See, what happened here is the people, because of a wicked king, were drawn away and started to worship other gods. So what about us? How are we doing? A little self-assessment. Colossians 2.8 gives us some caution when it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Are there any places where we might be tricked, deceived, where we're accepting human tradition rather than the principles of God, we're, we're buying into the philosophies of this world. Jude 3 says, Dear friends, though I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write to you and urge you to contend for faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Contend. Interesting, if there are places that this world is trying to deceive Christians with human philosophy, the Bible says that believers should contend for the faith. And that's not popular. You know, words like boldness and courage, and those aren't so popular with Christians in America anymore. Confrontation, contend, which is a word we get contention from. Um, We're into grace in the church in America, and I'm grateful for that. There's no salvation without grace. But we're not so big on sharing the truth and contending for the truth anymore because there's a price to pay for it, popularity, being called a bigot, um, having this world potentially think less of us. So, man tries to make their own truth, and the question is, are we, are we going to buy into it? One area that I want to speak to, I could speak to many, but one area I want to say where I, I believe that we are being deceived by vain philosophies in the church, and it's troubling to me, and it's the area of homosexuality. I want to talk about that for a moment, and uh, there are people who say, well, you shouldn't judge, or no person should judge, or I'm not going to judge, and I think that's cool. I'm not the judge, you're not the judge, but... The word of God judges things, not me. So let's, and not you, but the word of God is, is judged whether things are right or wrong already. So let's look at the word of God concerning this. And my point is, as we look at Elijah and how things were getting askew in, the, in, in, in what was the church those days, what was the kingdom, the nation of Israel that was birthed by God, they were moving away from his truth and Elijah came to strongly call them back. So where are some ways that we might need to be called back? Well, this one area. Look at Romans 1. Let's see what it says about homosexuality. Now, let me tell you something. This, this, this troubles me mostly because of preachers. 
I believe one of the... Um, one of the reasons that we're seeing a sharp decline in people moving over to believing that this is okay in the body of Christ is because preachers won't have the courage to stand and tell the truth. And, and um, I, I firmly believe that. I love preachers more than you do, I promise you. Uh, I love to invest in them. I love to bless them. I think they're the best people in the world. And yet I see this deficiency that says, and, and I say, where are you? Why, why don't you read these truths in the Word anymore? And here's, here's what it says in Romans 1.24. It says, They did vile and degrading things. This is the New Testament now. With each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Now, now think of that. They traded the truth for a lie. It's talking about homosexuality here when it says, That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, the Bible calls it sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking. And let them do things that should never be done. So this is talking about homosexuality. And let's, I'm not judging, but the word is speaking. Let's let the word speak today. And the word says this about homosexuality. These are not my words. These are the words of the Bible. It's vile. It's degrading. It's a shameful desire. These directly out, out of the scripture here. It's sin. This is sin, the Bible says. There's a penalty that comes with it. The Bible says that. The Bible says that God abandoned them to their foolish thinking in this setting. And it was something that should never be done. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, man, I'm really for grace. I'm really for grace. But we, we live in a world, and I, I uh, uh, you know, I, I, if courage isn't the absence of fear but the overcoming of it, believe me, I feel it a little bit today too. But we're talking about the Bible. I'm a Bible guy. I believe this. I love everybody, God loves everybody, but you don't go to heaven because God loves you. That's just part of it. You have to have God love you to go to heaven. You, get, you go to heaven because you love him back. Because you accept him and you follow him. In the Bible, all sin, not just homosexuality, all sin, and, we, and I think most people would say this is sin in the, at least in the evangelical ranks. Sin must be forsaken. It must be seen as bad. And we must do our best to move away from it. Everybody is tempted in different ways. This temptation is not a temptation for me. I don't understand it. But you'll hear, I have temptations. And the enemy knows the weak spot. I don't believe people are born that way because it says they exchanged that which was natural for that which was not natural. And if you look at that word in the Greek, it speaks to that which is born into a person. Now, I'm just, to me, that's, that's the word. But what, I, what, I, what troubles me is, is I've never once heard that, other than myself reading it, I've never once heard a preacher anywhere ever in my life talk about this. I don't get it. Because our culture is really struggling. And it makes me think of a quote that I, uh, it's out of a song by David Baroni that says this. Because there are people sitting in the, in the churches who think this is Okay who think they can love God and choose this as a lifestyle. And the truth is, it's sin 
And if you deliberately choose it, you're saying to God, I don't care about your truth. I'm going to do it my way, and that's trouble. And it reminds me of the quote in a song that's by David Baroni that says this, and I'm speaking to preachers. Maybe God will have some of them hear this on the podcast. Are we winning the lost or losing the found? Spreading the gospel or watering it down? When the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? Well, as I look at these things, I, um, I have concern because look what it says. And, and it's true that there are many sinful lifestyles and, and, and you can be lost uh, for eternity choosing other different lifestyles that are sexual, adultery, and otherwise. Um, but, but I guess one of the things I want to say to you is if you're one of the Christians who thinks that people shouldn't judge and that we should love everybody, I think that's cool. But if, if that means that you're going to extrapolate a little further that we should accept people as they are and tell them they're okay and God loves them just as they are, now I start to have a problem with that. Because you might be popular on this earth. I know why you do it. It's the same reason that I'm tempted and other people are tempted to do it too. You do it because you don't want to take any heat. Because it's easier for you and you want them to like you in this immediate moment. But let's take it all the way to heaven. You got to heaven. Congratulations. And you look around and they're not there. Now let me ask you something. How do you feel now? I think we ought to be willing because love demands it to share truth here so that someone will not be lost for eternity. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 talks about not only this lifestyle but many other lifestyles of sin that will separate people from God and it says this. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people, drunkards or are abusive or cheating people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now verse 11 after that list, and it's talking about lifestyles of sin, not a slipping and falling, not a stumbling and falling, but a willful, continually, deliberately choosing a lifestyle. It could have been drunkenness. It, it, you know, it's spoken in there. That lifestyle could have, could have been adultery. That's, that's, you know, just someone who is promiscuous all their life long and uh, enjoys it and wrecks other people's lives that are around them. But, but they're into that. It could be that. It could be that you're just a, a businessman who's a total cheat and you, you jip and rip off the poor all the time. Those are lifestyles of sin. And they separate people from God. Homosexuality is one of those lifestyles that separate people from God, as the Bible speaks here too. And I want you to notice that verse 11 makes it obvious. Here's what it says. Some of you were once like that. The word is showing that that's not someplace we stay when we come to him. That we don't deliberately choose lifestyles of sin. We come out of those lifestyles. Why? Because the grace of God that forgives is the same grace of God that empowers us to overcome sin. We're not bound by sin. We don't have to sin because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I'm talking about sinful lifestyle. Everybody stumbles and falls, but when you willfully, continually, deliberately choose a lifestyle, that's trouble. Then it says you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
And here's where we see that, that it's that continual deliberate choice of lifestyle that's a problem. Hebrews 10, 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately keep on sinning, if we deliberately continue sinning, there's deliberate and continual. After we receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There's only the terrible expectations of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. So here's the deal. There is a hell, just like there's a heaven. There is an eternal judgment that Jesus will make the call on someday. And what are we saved from, right? We're saved from this eternal consequence of hell. And it's not just one sin or another sin. It's any sinful lifestyle. If we say, hey, I said it with my lips, and that's enough, well, the Bible says they confess with their lips that their hearts are far from me in settings, right? So, so how do we prove we love God? What, maybe a better way is what shows that we love God when we obey his commands? Jesus says, why do you say you love me, but you don't do what I say? What he's really saying is you don't love me. I mean, if, uh, if a wife has a husband who says, I love you, and he, but, but I, I continue in my sin with this other woman or these other women, I want to have them every night, and I'm going to, I'm going to, and it, does she love him? She loves him. Should she say that's okay? No, she shouldn't. It's not okay. And if it's not okay in a human relationship, the Bible says God is a jealous God. How would it be okay with the creator who gave his son, who, who allowed Jesus to be crucified so that we can be forgiven and overcome our sin and we willfully, continually, deliberately say, I don't care about that. I want to do this. Jesus says, you don't really love me. There's a book out by Francis Chan called Erasing Hell. It's a great read. You can read it on an airplane in an hour and a half if you travel. And Francis Chan is one, of, I, you know, I love Francis Chan. I love everything he writes. He's a young man. That's one of the things I love, who stands for truth but is filled with grace as well. And I believe God's raising him up to speak to this generation. Check out the book Erasing Hell because that's what our culture and Christians seem to be doing. We want to be so nice that we don't talk about eternity anymore. Well, how, what, why would there be a reason to get saved and why would you need to forsake sin? Everybody will just live however they want. But God calls people to salvation and to repentance. And here's the bottom line. Not only will it give you eternal life, it'll bless you here in heaven, when you for, or here on earth when you forsake sin. God speaks to preachers. I spoke to that earlier when he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Some people don't like it when preachers do that. But I'm telling you, preachers who won't do that are not truly the servants that God can count on. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. And I, I fear we're coming to this place in America. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I looked up myth in the Greek and it means this, fiction, fable, tale. Stuff that they say is true but they're just making it up. They're not looking at the Bible. My, my sister is a lesbian and I love her. But the word says that she's away from God because she's chosen this lifestyle. And we've talked about it before. And one of the conversations we had is uh, she says at her church, 
She teaches Sunday school at a church. At her church, because somebody won't share truth, right? Uh, at her church, they say it's not wrong. And I said this, well, you can't, you, you, they can't be using the Bible and say that. Oh, yeah, they use the Bible. I go, yeah, but they're not just, they're not believing the Bible they're using. Well, we use other books. Of course you do, because how else could you get there? You can't get there with just the Bible if you're reading it for what it says. Do I love my sister? I pray for my sister. I pray God will come, will send people to my sister to love her. But she must forsake that sin. She knows better. She knows what it says. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, who condemns you right now, right? Let the one without sin cast the first stone. So let's bring some balance to this. The balance is grace and truth. Right after he says, let the one without sin cast the first stone, and he says, who condemns you now? Which is where all the major media outlets, they want to quote that part. You ever notice that? They don't even know him, but they like the part that says, let the one without sin cast the first stone. But they never say the other part, where Jesus said to that woman, now go and leave your life of sin. Those are the words of Jesus too. Grace and truth. John 1.14 talks about Jesus and it says, <clears throat> he was full of grace. Listen, I love grace. I want everyone to be saved. I really do. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but he wants all to be saved. But the gospel demands that we confess him and forsake our sin. Repent and turn the go, go the other way and become a follower of Jesus Christ. Not just a speaker of his words, but to follow to the best of our abilities with the help and grace of God, to follow him with our lives. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about following Jesus when you know what right is and, and, and forsaking and asking for help. And if you stumble and fall, get back up. But you can get, you say, do you think you can be sinless? No, but I think you can, be, you can sin less and less all the time because of the grace of God that empowers us to be overcomers. Um, I believe it's Titus 2.12 that says, the grace of God that leads us to salvation teaches us to say no to all forms of ungodliness. What? Grace not only forgives, but it helps us overcome? It empowers us? You ever heard one of the old saints, one of the old missionaries say, by the grace of God, we made it through? There's the enabling force of grace too, not just the forgiving. If you think grace is just salvation, you've watered down grace. Grace is power to overcome as well as the Spirit of God comes into your heart and your life. Grace and truth, John 1.14, it says Jesus is full of grace and truth. And I say that grace and truth are the two wings of an airplane. Let me ask you a question. If you're on a plane in the air, which wing would you prefer to lose, the right or the left? You're going to want them both. Because without either one of them, the plane crashes and burns. Now, I, I, I have a sermon on grace that will be the, the major emphasis in the forgiveness of God someday. Today, it's more about truth. But believe me, I want grace. I want that wing of the airplane. But if you don't have truth, if Jesus is full of grace and truth, if that's what Jesus is full of, shouldn't that be what we're full of? Shouldn't that be our heart's desire? 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch in how you live and on your teaching. 
Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. I remember a young man who was in a homosexual lifestyle in Salem, Oregon. When I was a youth pastor, he said to me once, um, he said, the pull of it is so great, I, I, can't, I can't move away from it. And he, he was heading headlong back into the lifestyle. And I called his name, I said, you know what you're choosing, you know you're, you're deliberately walking away from God. And he started to cry, he said, I know, I know, but I, I just can't, I can't, I can't follow him. And then, it was a bit strange, but he said to me through his tears, would you make me a promise? Would you share it in the church? Because I went to this church all my life and I never heard that it was wrong once. And now I'm trapped in it. Would you make sure people know? I made a promise to him that day. That's part of the reason that I'm sharing it today. God is full of grace. He'll forgive us for whatever we've done. But he calls us out of sinful lifestyles. And to the preachers of this world, I say this. It comes from Proverbs 29, 18. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. We must reveal the truth of God in love so that people can truly be saved. Second thought today, now, now that was strong, right? Elijah's calling him back though, right? Isn't that the order of the day here in the word? You've gone astray. How long are you gonna hobble between two opinions? If God is God's servant. So here we have it again. The truth not only confronts the lie of the enemy, that was my first point, the truth calls people back to the one true God. And here's Elijah, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that when the church decides not to speak against things and they get, one of the things in sports, uh, I, I, I refer to myself as a former athlete. That's because I do not have the ability. I don't go out and play because the mind is willing but the body is weak. And I don't, I don't even go anymore. I try to exercise, but, but in my head I think I can, but I can't. But here's what I know about athletics. Football, basketball, uh, whatever sport it may be, contact sport, if you get moving backwards and someone hits you, you go down easy. And what'll happen is when they start to take some of these things, you can throw in abortion and other things and they get the church on their heels, get the church on the heels and they get you moving backwards. I'm telling you what's coming because we're so afraid. No, we don't want them to know because they'll think we're so afraid pretty soon. Guess what the truth is that they bring? It's not the only way. It's, then they'll say Jesus isn't the only way. Get you on your heels and try to knock you down for the count. Well, let's look at what happened here. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in, the front of them, in front of them and said, how long, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Interesting. They didn't want to speak for truth in that setting. It's true that when rulers and authorities say sin is okay, the people of a nation start to stumble. King Ahab told him it was okay to worship these other gods. So they, they did. People tend to 
put the authority of man ahead of the authority of God. And the Bible tells us to uh, obey uh, the laws of the land. The Bible tells us that uh, God establishes leaders in the world. Establish, though, means to arrange for his purposes. Uh, So he sets them up and arranges them for his purposes. The Bible tells us to respect, but where, where is it okay to move away when, when they start telling you things, are, things that are right um, that obviously aren't in the word? I remember one place in the Bible where they said, stop speaking in the name of Jesus to the disciples. And the disciples said, are we to obey God or man? We cannot do this. There's a place for Christians to say, no, I won't go there. And this is the one for sure when they start saying There's, there are other gods and Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And I, I hope it doesn't come to that in America. But if it does, I want you to be ready to stand up for Jesus Christ. Elijah knows this has happened, that Ahab, the king, has led people astray. And Jezebel, the queen, has led them to wicked gods and false gods. And he says, you're hobbling between two opinions. If God is God, then serve him. And they're silent. The truth calls people back to the one true God. Acts 4.11 says this, as we talk about the one true God. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Now listen to what the word says. There is salvation in no one else. Why only Jesus? Because Jesus was the only plan of God the Father. He sent his son to pay a ransom for our sins, to die. The punishment of our son fell on him. That's grace, so it wouldn't fall on us. That's why we need salvation. And to say to God, no, I'm gonna come another way, God says, hey, 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 there's only one door. And he makes it obvious to us. God has given no other name under heaven, the scripture says, by which we must be saved. Just the name of Jesus. People say, that's so narrow. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. It's a straight and narrow path. There's only one way. There's only one way. That's narrow, but it's the way. And that's how you get in. But we're, um, we're buying into other religions. No longer in America can you, can you uh, believe as a Christian or a pastor that the first look at religion is at Christianity because they're, they're looking at all religions now in America. It wasn't true 15 years ago. Now they... They look at the, the Baha'i and Muslim and, or Islam is a better way to say it because that's the religion. And they, they look at so many other things and they may think that these things uh, are, are okay, that you can get in, but that's not what the Bible says. We're back to the Bible again. That's not what the Bible says. I'm just a simple man preaching simple truths in the Bible. I preach the obvious ones. And um, God's made the Bible so simple that all of us can understand it. He says there's just one way. Beethoven um, probably poisoned himself. Did you know that? Scientist William Walsh from Illinois concluded this after studying strands from Beethoven's hair, the body of that famous classical composer, Ludwig van Beethoven. And this scientist discovered that his body had 100 times the normal amount of lead in it. He concluded that Beethoven's untimely death at the age of 57 was due to lead poisoning. During Beethoven's life, 
he frequently went to the mineral spa, spa to relax. And the very thing that he thought was bringing him relief was slow, slowly poisoning him to death. And all false religions of this world are like that. May seem good. May seem to satisfy for those moments. I remember a New Age church that was just down the road in Wilsonville. They claimed they had 5,000 people. It senses disbanded. But I remember someone who came here and found Jesus Christ said to me one day that they used to go to that church. And now they found Jesus and they were so glad. They were telling me that. And I said, wow, what was that like? And they said, you know what? It felt great when I was there at church. But the moment I got to my car and opened that door, the empty feeling came back. False religions of this world are poisonous. You might, you might be satisfied for a bit, but in the long run, you're gradually being poisoned to death. Jesus is truth, and he's the only one who can set people free. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we ignore such great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed by all those who heard. 1 John 5 says this, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's skip down to point three if we can, guys. I've got to go a little quicker here. Third point. The truth has power. When I say truth, I'm talking about the Bible is referred to truth. Jesus is referred as truth. I'm talking about both. The truth has all power to destroy the enemy. That's why I'm not afraid. That's why we shouldn't be afraid. To be popular on this earth, to be esteemed on this earth, is not the same as being esteemed in heaven. My job is not to fill seats. My job is to truly fill hearts. That's my calling. And unless we fill hearts with grace and truth, we're, we're not going to get where we need to go and people won't get where God wants them to be. God has the power to destroy the enemy. Ephesians 6.12, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers but against evil rulers and authorities of, unseen, of, of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I threw that in there because I don't want you to think that someone who's not walking in truth is the problem. I want you to always keep it on a spiritual realm where you understand it's the enemy, not them. We love them, right? We will build a relationship with them. We will bless them even if they don't bless us back because we care. And we want them to know Jesus Christ. We'll give even when we're rejected. Two boys were heard uh, walking home from church service one day saying this. One of them said, what do you think about all that Satan stuff? Because the preacher had talked about the devil. And the other said, well, you know how all that Santa Claus stuff turned out. It's probably your dad. It's not your dad. It's not the person. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. We're battling a spiritual battle, so we pray. And we reach out in grace and truth and love. 
And we know that that truth has the power to destroy the enemy. And here it is. 1 Kings 18.36. One of the coolest stories in the Bible. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today. Because remember all the, I, I don't have time to say it, but all the other prophets got out and they danced around and they tried to call fire down. Elijah said, call fire down if you're real. And they danced around for hours and they cut themselves and no fire came down. You know why? Because Baal's not real. <laughs> and neither is Asherah. They just, they're just made up out of someone's head. They can't do anything. The devil can do something, but when God, you know why the devil didn't, because the devil, we see that, that the devil himself, Lucifer, can do miracles to some degree. You see him, you know, copying the miracles of Moses. Do you remember that with the rod? And, but you know when he can't do anything? When God says, stop, and just stays his hand. The devil couldn't do anything this day because God's so much more powerful. Then Elijah steps up. And he says this, O Lord God of Abraham, and he's probably yelling and shouting because thousands are gathered around. Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me so this people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, it even licked up all the water. They had poured buckets of water in a trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. These are the same ones who were silent. Someone confronted with truth, the lies. Someone stood up and said, there's only one way, choose. And someone believed in the power of God to bring change to a person, a people, a nation. They said, yes, the Lord is God. See, see, when people of God stand up, I, don't ever forget this. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. When you quote the word of God, the spirit of God attends it. It's not like the arguments of men. When people lay their heads down, they hear the word of God coming back to them. The spirit of God attends the message of grace and truth, the gospel. And God will use it to draw people to himself. So we must be those that not only believe it, but speak it in love. If you don't believe that, try watching the next movie you watch by turning down the sound. It won't have any impact on you. Because it's life and it's words. And Elijah did this. And then he says this, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So they seized them all. Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. 850 of them. The New Testament's a little different, right? We, we, don't, we don't do battle against uh, foes in that fashion. It's all, it's all spiritual. It was spiritual here, but, but in the New Testament, there's a new covenant. And we don't, we don't do battle that way by hurting people physically. This contest was between God and Baal, and God won. He does amazing miracles. He burned up the wood, the stones, the water, the bull. 
And the prophets of Baal were stunned. They thought they had power in numbers, 850 of them against one. God plus one is always the majority. Write that one down. This is even better. God is the majority. (laughs) Quote of the day from Leonard Ravenhill. Been dead many years, but he wrote a book called Why Revival Tarries. He says this, the world is crying out, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the answer is that he's where he's always been. But where are the Elijahs? The power of God works. Ephesians 1.19 speaks of his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, and not only in the present age, but in the one to come. We must follow Jesus. We must be like him and walk in grace and truth. We must have love, but we must have boldness. All those things are in the Bible. It's the balance. It's the two wings of the airplane. 